we're still in Joshua. We're still talking about what a faith crossing is. And I've been telling you over and over, and you're supposed to uh, get it in your mind. A faith crossing is an obedient response to the call of God upon your life. It's a faith crossing because you're moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. It is also a faith crossing because you're trusting God with the uncertainty of your journey. Faith crossings often, as we've seen in the book of Joshua, result in some extraordinary activity of God. When we come to chapter 5 in the book of Joshua, God's people have made as a whole, as a nation, their, their first faith crossing into the promised land. One step of obedience, as you know, always leads to another or always should. There's always a next step in the journey with God. And life on the other side of the Jordan was going to require some significant adjustments in their lives for them to continue with God. That's true of every faith crossing uh, you make in your journey with God. God's will will never be static. Uh, your journey will never be simple or easy. If it was, it wouldn't require faith. Sometimes faith crossings made in a crisis only lead to another crisis, which will require you to continue to trust in God. That's what life is all about, and that's what we'll see tonight as their journey of faith continues. We're going to read chapter uh, 5 of Joshua, verse 1. We'll deal with verse 1 first, and we're going to break this down in several different sections as we walk through it tonight. Verse 1 of Joshua, chapter 5. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Here's the first point in the message tonight, and that is the faith crossings of God's people are widely known by a watching world. Now, we have observed over the last several weeks what is happening in connection with Asbury. I'm in no position to evaluate uh, or make an assessment, but you'll notice how it has captured the attention of a watching world. Some want to celebrate it, some want to mock it, but the world is watching. They're taking note with great interest at what God is doing. So when the world is watching, and because the world is watching, and the world is always watching us, watching the church, God requires significant adjustments prior to our next faith crossing. One step of faith is not the end of the journey. It's only the beginning, and so the next step requires these major adjustments. Some of you have been through experiencing God and uh, by Henry Blackaby, and in that study, uh, Henry Blackaby said, uh, God's invitation for you to join him always leads to a crisis of belief which requires faith and action. And following that, he said, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. 
Now, those major adjustments, we always, we always pass them off to somebody else. It's the other person that needs to make major adjustments. It's the other church that needs to make major adjustments. It's the other youth group that needs to make major adjustments. No, there are major adjustments for you to make. And so, however flawed this work is at Asbury might be from a human standpoint, it appears that God is at work. People are talking about God. There is a God alertness that didn't exist just a few weeks ago. So the state of our world, the state of our nation, and this God alertness comes together to make us all ask, or at least make the church ask, if no one else is asking, is God up to something? Now you will notice the adjustment required, God required in the life of the nation. We're about to read about it. We'll not go into great, great detail. But as we read these next verses, you'll notice that it represented something they failed to do for an extended period of time. The act itself was a faith crossing of sorts, an adjustment they were to make to God. So I'm going to pick up in verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourselves flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth HaHarloth. This is, what, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. So what I want you to see here is that when the world is watching, and because the world is watching, and because there is always a next step in our faith journey, God requires significant adjustments. And that's the next point, as you can see. I always think of revival as a kind of promised land living, but to enjoy promised land living as they were getting ready to enjoy, there are always some things that must be put away from us, from my life and from your life. That's why in Romans, Paul talked about having a circumcised heart, and that's what we're talking about, removing things from our hearts that don't belong. Faith crossings, joining God in what he's doing or in what he's about to do require major adjustments in our hearts. Hard adjustments often require confession of sin, and so that's one of the major things that was going on in Asbury. Among those students, some, sometimes there would be large groups of them that would just fall to their knees and begin to confess their sin, things in their hearts that weren't right with God that needed to be put right. And that's what we're talking about. That's what needs to happen if we're to continue to be on mission with God. So does that need to happen here? 
Is there someone tonight who needs to humbly and quietly make a life adjustment, a life adjustment to God? Nobody here is curious about what is broken in your life or where you are broken, only that broken people find their way into the presence of the Lord Jesus. We've been talking about what God might want to do in and through our church. We've been talking about being used of God to to reach people in our outreach program. We've been talking about revival, but before any of that can happen here, I must make major adjustments in my life and you in yours. What is the adjustment that God would have you to make? Where have you long been disobedient to God and now that thing needs to be put right and you need to confess it and return to God in obedience? Before we can join God in what He's doing, our next faith crossing requires us to make major adjustments. We can't go forward until we do. Let me also say this. I have never adjusted my life to God than it didn't bring me to some position of need. You've heard the saying, where God guides, he provides. Is that true? Well, the only way to really know is to make the journey. Remember, there's always a next step. In the journey. Now look at verse 8. Now, when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, They observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan, during that year. Now, why do you think it was significant? You think about it now. Things in the Bible don't happen by chance. This was a divine appointment. They entered the land right at the time of Passover so that right at the time of Passover, right before they were going to fight the battle of Jericho, they could get things right with God. That was something that had to happen. And by celebrating the Passover, what they were doing were they were looking back to one of those spiritual markers we've been talking about. Passover was a spiritual marker in their life where they were called to remember the great deliverance from Egypt. Remember how God got them out of Egypt? How they killed the Passover lamb and put it over the doorpost put the blood over the doorpost of their house and the, and the death angel came and the Egyptians lost all their firstborn, but, but that didn't happen in the life of the children of Israel because they were protected. They were celebrating that spiritual marker in their life, that great moment when God did something. Now, one of the spiritual markers, we've been talking about spiritual markers and one of them we celebrated right here in the sanctuary. I want to 
I want to connect dots for you. I like to connect the dots in the journey that we have with God. And, and I, I always want to help, help you celebrate any little inkling of God's activity that we see here. But you will remember on January the 11th, January the 11th, not a long-standing plan just a few days before, I stumbled across the testimony of the president of Asbury College from 1970. And we sat here in this sanctuary on January the 11th on Sunday night. Many of you did, and you watched that. And I believe your heart was stirred. My heart was stirred when I watched it before I showed it. My heart was stirred as I sat in here and I watched it again. And 28 days later, something happened at Asbury College. And we have no connection to that except we, perchance, are maybe in the providence of God. We're made aware that there was a generation who was yet to experience God in that way, that had no awareness of what it was like to experience God or to experience revival, and that they desperately needed to do so. And perhaps that's something that has begun, and perhaps that's something that we can celebrate. But what I'm saying to you, here's the next point. Faith crossings present us with different sets of needs that require continued dependence on God. What happened when they crossed the Jordan? They celebrated the Passover and the manna ceased. That, they had depended on that stuff for 40 years. They liked it maybe, maybe they didn't like it, but they had grown dependent on the manna. Day by day, provision from God, and it just dried up. It was just gone. Of course, they had the produce of the land. But my point to make for you tonight is that God did not want them dependent on the manna. God never wants you dependent, so dependent on the provision that you have that you're afraid to step forward by faith and say, well, I know God has taken care of me in the past, and this is the way he's taken care of me in the past, and I'm afraid to lose this steady income I'm afraid to go forward because I might not have that in the next step of my journey. You may not have that. You may well lose that. You may well lose the provision of the moment, but you will never lose the provider. And that's all that God was teaching them for 40 years, was to live in day-by-day -day dependence on God. When Jesus taught us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. He was teaching us to pray for, for God's provision day by day. Give us this day our daily bread, just as you gave them manna in the wilderness. You give us what we need day by day so that we can, can continue to follow you and be your people. Faith Crossings present us with a different set of needs that require continued dependence upon God. We continue to trust God to be our provider. Now, verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, 
No. That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? No. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down to him and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? We'll stop right there. Let me make the next point to you about our faith crossings, and that is Jesus is Lord of every faith crossing. Jesus is Lord. What you see here is Joshua anticipating the next step of faith. He, as we would, remember, there they are. There, it's, 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 it's several days or, or some period of time before they go forward and and uh, into Jericho, and so Joshua's thinking about it. He's evaluating the difficulty. He's weighing the danger, just like we would do. God, can I do this? Can we do this? Have I done everything necessary to adjust my life for what, what is next? How am I going to handle all of this responsibility? Because, Lord, you know that I am captain of this mission. That's when this strange figure appears to Joshua. Who is this? Why is he here? What is his name? What authority does he have here over Joshua? And is there any connection between what happened to Joshua and your personal faith crossing or mine or our faith crossing as a church that God might call us to make? Well, first let's establish his identity. He is the captain of the host of heaven. The host is the armies. He's captain of the armies of the Lord or captain of the armies of heaven. And so where else do we find this figure in our Bible? We find him in the book of Revelation. Let me read to you the passage from Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True and righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's only one captain of the armies of heaven. And somehow, some way, in a way that known only to the mind and heart of God, the captain of the armies of heaven appeared here to Joshua before he ever appeared on this earth. There he stands, ready for battle. You've heard it said today. I'm sure you've said it at one time or another. Don't draw your gun unless you expect to use it. Well, here is a man with a drawn sword in his hand. He wouldn't have drawn it if he hadn't expected to use it. And yet, strangely enough, here is Joshua, man enough to say, now just whose side are you on? Are you on our side or on the other side? And he says, no, not on anybody's side here. I'm a different captain. 
of a different army and you need to line up behind me. And we see Joshua falling on his face. Now, we don't need to go any further without realizing that Jesus was there to establish the fact we might call this the angel of the Lord, but if you call it the angel of the Lord, you look in every case, the angel of the Lord turns out to be some appearance of the Lord himself. He was there to remind Joshua that he was Lord. He was the leader of this faith crossing. If you're called to make a faith crossing and, and, and the Lord is there to go with you, Jesus said, he said to his disciples, he said, go and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. What did the Lord tell, Mo, what, tell Joshua? He said, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Be strong and of a good courage. But there's one moment in this story we must never forget. We pick up in the middle of verse 14. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now that is exactly the same thing, if you will remember, that the Lord had said to Moses when he stood at the burning bush, or the angel of the Lord had said to Moses when he stood at the burning bush, Take your shoes off your feet, for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. Today I happened to cross an article relating some of the things that happened at Asbury. You can find it online. It was from Christianity Today, and it written just this week. And I read about some of the celebrities who showed up, and some of the groups who came in and wanted to capitalize on the moment some of those who came in and some of the excesses that were the excesses I'm talking about things that really shouldn't have been there those things were quietly quenched by wiser hearts because what they wanted to do according to the article in Christianity Today they wanted to make sure that Jesus remained Lord of what was happening at Asbury they wanted to make sure that what started as a spontaneous movement of God's Spirit remained a spontaneous movement of God's Spirit. There are moments so holy that a celebration or songs or, or words of any kind are just simply not appropriate. Habakkuk relates that verse. I believe it's in Habakkuk where he writes... The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. This was one of those moments for Joshua when he fell on his face and the Lord said, you're on holy ground, take your shoes off too. Holy ground is not for celebration. It's for surrender. It's for standing in awe and adoration of the one who has manifested his presence in your midst. And when he does, you have only one option. Line up behind him and do what he says. What is the Lord saying to his servants at First Baptist Church? 
what, what is he saying to all of us, all really Christians everywhere in this period of time? A faith crossing is an obedient response to the call of God upon your life. It's moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. It is a faith crossing because you're trusting God with the uncertainty of your journey, and that's whether you're moving across the world or stepping down the aisle to make a decision. Faith crossings, thankfully, often result in the extraordinary activity of God. Faith crossings, the ground of your faith crossing is holy ground. Take your shoes off. It's a sign of reverence and respect. What, I do on the holy, what do I do on the holy ground of a faith crossing? You prepare yourself for what is next. You do whatever he tells you. Jesus is Lord of every faith crossing. May he be Lord of what happens here. Let's pray.